0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
2: Welcome to Work Party, the mini-sode. In these mini-sodes, we'll be sitting down with some of the many brilliant women who have work partied their way to the top. We'll be asking for their best entrepreneurial advice for women like you who are creating and cultivating the career of their dreams. Whether you're running the show or balancing your side hustles, we are giving you the real talk business advice you need. Today's Work Party Minisode is coming to you live from the Create and Cultivate Chicago conference. Our team sat down with Chriselle Lim, creator of the Chriselle Factor. Chriselle has amassed around 2.5 million followers across her social platform, and she's transformed her brand into a successful business. In fact, she's now considered to be an expert in the influencer and content creation space.
1: Hello work party listeners. I'm Heather Records, the marketing director at Create and Cultivate, East Coaster and Resident Cat Lady. Today, we're live at our Create and Cultivate Chicago Conference, and I'm lucky enough to be speaking with some of the phenomenal entrepreneurs and game changers that will be hitting the Create and Cultivate stage. Here with me is queen of the Chriselle factor and one of my personal favorite follows on Instagram, Chriselle Lim. Welcome, Chriselle. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. We define Work Party as the new American dream for women who want to create and cultivate their own career paths, women who don't want a nine to five but instead they put in work every day doing things they love, which is exactly what you've done. You're the co-founder of Sync Studios, a branded content studio. Why did you decide to expand from focusing on your own content and to producing engaging content for a roster of other brands?
0: Well, it was a really natural evolution from what I was already doing. So I was already creating content for myself and my brand for about seven, eight years. And I just have like a stellar team. I might be biased, but I have like the best content creating team. So we've just found ourselves, you know... A lot, when we work with brands on the talent side, they just kept yeah. asking us, like, you know, oh, can your team create this type of content for my company or my brand? And, and we just kept running into the same questions from the same people. So we were like, why don't we just... Put a name behind it and just create it into a studio, since there's obviously a need and a want from a lot of the brands that we're already working with.
1: Awesome! So yeah. you saw the white space and you were like, "Let's make this money."
0: Yeah, and, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And also, I think you know, we we're in a time right now where there's a lot of big agencies that create like really epic, amazing commercials and stellar, like like high production, highly produced content. Um, but really to just kind of find a middle ground is actually a lot more challenging. Yeah. To be able to like engage and create interesting but still like semi produced content right. online where it like connects with millennials. Um, there aren't that many agencies that when we first started that were doing that. So we just really saw an opportunity there.
1: Yeah, and yeah. you guys are doing it so well. Thank you. Yeah. So you have an entire team now dedicated to content creation um, for your brand at Cressel Inc. Um, And you've really approached that the entire time as a business. So can you tell us a little bit about the strategy and how you went about growing your team? You know, where did you hire first and what has, you know, been that trajectory for
0: you? So it wasn't planned. It kind of happened organically. Like I always knew I wanted a business, but when it came down to like having a team and, you know, creating a content branded studio, like that was never part of the plan. It just kind of happened as it went. But I think the main thing was I knew what I was not good at. And I knew that I was horrible with editing. I knew I was horrible with videography. Like I knew the basics. I just like, I would just get my MacBook pro and I'll like, um, I didn't even know how to use final cut pro. I just use like the I think it's like the iStudio to create my first uh, YouTube video. But I realized that in order for me to really stand out back then, I needed to find someone that was excellent at editing and also um, just like video. So that's when I went on a search for hiring people that are better than me. It was always a strategy of mine to find people that that were better than me just so I could build a sustainable brand and a business. And once I found the value in that and people were like, "Oh my god, how did you create this video? You know, cr- can you create this one for my company?" My I was like, "Okay, this is it. Like I'm going to I'm going to invest all the money I make in this business on people." And that's how I really just grew my team.
1: What has been the biggest challenge you've overcome while growing your team?
0: I think the first thing is obviously finding the right people because there's obviously great people, but then maybe your work ethics are not, you know, in line with each other. So there's just like so many different struggles when looking for like the one person that you need that will actually be loyal to you, but that are also creative and that you could work with every day and won't kill each other every yeah,
1: day. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, in the creative space too, there's a lot of like the most amazing creative people. Yeah. You know, they might have a different work ethic, especially as someone like you who's very entrepreneurial. Um, it, it's tough in that space.
0: Yeah, totally. And, you know, because in the creative space, they might be extremely creative, but they don't understand deadlines and they don't understand, right. you know, just it's branded so projects. So, there's a lot of that. I think that was initially the hardest thing for me to, to do is finding the team that could work with me on deadlines and you know creating more branded projects and such. Um, but I've realized that once you find one really good person or even two, they know good people. And we've never had to advertise for like job positions. It was all through one internships, because that's a great way to um, see if they're a good fit. And to it was just through word of mouth, through like the people, the good people that we already knew that we hire. Then they could refer us to more good people. So, after like you get over the hump and finding like the first few, like I feel like it comes a little easier. But the first few months were, or the first few years were definitely a challenge.
1: Yeah. So we love asking about the rule of two thirds because it comes up a lot at work and in life, especially for women. The rule of two-thirds is that it can be fast, cheap, or beautiful, but it can't be all three. Which two do you pick?
0: Um, I would always say that it's quality over quantity. So definitely the beautiful part. But with this day and age, with the industry that we're in, you won't survive if you're slow. So you have to be you don't have to be fast, you don't have to be the first one, but you have to have like a decent kind of speed, so, but you definitely can't be cheap. So I would definitely pick speed and quality, but you can't be cheap.
1: In a previous interview, you mentioned that your mom didn't understand why you wanted to quit your salary job to pursue your non-paying YouTube channel at the time. I'll say that one again, sorry. In a previous interview, you mentioned that your mom didn't understand why you wanted to quit your salary job to pursue your non-paying YouTube channel at the time. Obviously, that paid off. What factors did you take into consideration before letting go of the security of your real job?
0: Well, first of all, I did not know that this was going to be a real job either. So when I told my parents and they were like, no, like that's not going to work, like it didn't really offend me. So I didn't put too much you know, I, I didn't invest so much of my emotions in that. Um, and then once I saw the opportunity growing, um, and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it, but I'm going to have to save up at least like three to six months worth of money just in case. Um, because at the time I was a full-time stylist at a, um, a magazine called Gen Lux magazine. And that was paying for like my bills and such back then. But, I, I diligently worked really hard, um, to save up enough just in case I didn't make any money at least for like six months. And then once I felt good about it, that's when I just went all out. So it kind of put the pressure on me too, because I knew that I only had six months to actually make something out of it or else I'm just going to have to go find a new job. So it's, I feel like six months was a good enough time for me to really make something happen.
1: So you set a timeline, you set yeah. your runway, you set yourself up for success exactly. money-wise. Amazing. When you started on YouTube, there really wasn't anyone else uploading fashion content on the platform. And your first video got 500,000 views overnight, which was wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, it seems like algorithms get in the way of everything. Um, and new content creators often lose hope pretty quickly. Uh, what can they do to get those numbers? What advice do you have for them? Well.
0: It's really unfair to compare numbers now to back then because the digital space is ever evolving and you know back then there were a handful of content creators. So if you wanted to watch fashion on YouTube back then, there was only like five of us. So like you had no choice and YouTube would actually promote our video on the front page so people can watch and it was highly favorable back then. So I always tell people don't get discouraged with what was back then to what it is now because one, the opportunity is bigger now, but you know, just because you're not getting the numbers that people used to get, uh, doesn't mean that the opportunity is not as big. Um, but for me, how I built my numbers um, was I collaborated a lot with people within the same field of fashion and beauty. And, you know, we really built each other up. And, you know, even if it was a YouTube video or we didn't have Instagram back then, but it was mainly on YouTube and we would cross promote each other. And I still think that's one of the most effective ways nowadays to actually build an audience is kind of getting your squad, like building your squad and um, just creating content together and really building each other up.
1: Yeah. And you do an amazing job with that. Did you see an immediate, um, rollover of your YouTube followers into your Instagram when you launched Instagram?
0: Yeah. Um, and vice versa too. I think for a while, YouTube was kind of like on its own Island because people were like, why would I watch a YouTube video? You know, like it just didn't really make sense, especially in the fashion world. Um, but now I'm seeing more and more people that are, uh, that are my Instagram followers subscribe to YouTube and vice versa. So, yeah, it all, you know, if you have Instagram and YouTube, like, keep cross-promoting each other. Um, What else? Even I have a blog, so we do that on email. So we always try to make it kind of like a 360 experience. Mm -hmm. So so, so maybe someone from the blog has ever been onto my channel. Um, And so we're always, like, trying to mention it in every platform.
1: You have said growing up that you were the only Asian girl in a predominantly white neighborhood, and the one thing you never had was that feeling that you were a part of something. Mm-hmm. Did your online presence and your followers bring you that sense of community that had been missing from your life in your younger years?
0: Yeah, so I always felt like an outcaster, kind of like being a creeper looking in to like these <laughs> groups that I wanted to be a part of back then um so that's why I actually started just like my online journey so early on I don't know if you know what Zynga is but Zynga was like the blog before like yeah. even blog spot existed yeah <laughs> so I had a Zynga and this this is it it's sounds amazing. so creepy back then because back then it 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 had the whole notion of, like, don't meet people online. Like, there's so many weirdos totally. online. So, but I didn't care. Like, I met so many cool people online. I have still never met them in person. But I built a community on Zynga where I would blog about my outfits and just, like, makeup and just, like, what I did and like a personal diary and
1: dying. Zenga <laughs> it just like blew my mind. I fully <laughs> forgot about Zenga and now it's all coming back to me yeah. and I'm like, wow. That was like
0: <laughs> like pre-Frenster. Yeah. Yeah. I just like really dated myself. So through Zenga and Fenster I built this really close knit online community and there was also this thing called Asian Avenue, which was like Friendster but for only Asian people amazing um, and I met like some really cool Asian people because I never really had Asian friends growing up yeah and was it international or it was international amazing mm-hmm. um, and it's not just like Asian people' It's people who are interested in Asian culture or yeah. Asian food or whatever so does it still exist? I don't know. I doubt it. (laughs) I highly doubt it.
1: Just update your profile a few years later. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I started just obsessing over building a community and meeting people online that had similar interests, like, way before it was even a thing. And so when my blog took off and my channel took off, it just felt like a natural extension of like me. It was so easy for me to express myself because I was already doing it for years. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like I was building my own little family where I could just update them on, you know, cause back then when I first started my blog, I was in college still. So I would like update them on what I was wearing to school. And it just felt like a small, Family that became very big, <laughs> right,
1: which is probably why all of your content feels so natural because it's just like innately what you did yeah, amazing let's talk a little bit about motherhood and the idea of having it all um, obviously there's a lot of pressure on moms to do everything. How has motherhood affected your professional life positively
0: yeah, definitely <laughs> um, it makes you definitely appreciate time and value time, if anything. Um, but I think after I became a mom, I realized that, yes, moms really and women can really do it all. But at the end of the day, we're still human and we're going to burn out. And that's why with my social media these days, I'm not trying to promote that I can do it all. I, I even kind of banned the word balance because I don't believe that there is a such thing as balance. Um, because not as she, an
1: entrepreneur, I feel yeah like. no,
0: you're sacrificing at least one thing or another at some point in your life. So I, t- I always tell people, especially moms that are working, working mothers, is that you can't have it all and you can do it all, but not at the same time. Right. And there's going to be seasons. And that's the rule of two
1: thirds. Yes. Again, it's like applies to your work, it applies to your life. It's, yeah,
0: exactly. Because the, the, the minute that you feel like your life is balanced and like I don't know, everything seems just so perfect, within seconds it'll, it'll get off balance. Once again, so if you just understand, you know, when fashion month rolls around, you know, I'm barely at home. I'm being, quote unquote, a bad mom because I'm never around because I'm just traveling Um, And of course I feel guilty and my husband plays like the mom role for me. But then what people don't know on the, on the flip side for the next month, I'm at home all the time and I'm just with my family and I, I sacrifice work as well. So it's, it's all about the balance of, you know, in seasons, you know, some seasons work will be heavier and, and other seasons you're just going to have to sacrifice work.
1: You obviously inspire millions of women, but where do you go for inspiration? Are there any podcasts or books or apps that you're using?
0: Yeah, I'm a huge podcaster. I don't have my own podcast, but I listen to at least like three to four podcasts a day. Wow. Because I have a crazy commute to my office. My office is in downtown LA, and I live about two hours outside of uh, LA. And you drive there
1: every day? Every
0: day, yeah. Commitment. (laughs) People think I'm crazy, but... (laughs) You know what it is? It's, for me, I used to be such a big reader. Like, I used to read books. Like, I would at least go through one book a a week. But because I don't have that time anymore, because when I have to commute, and to, I have my baby now, um, and second coming along the way, that... I don't read books anymore. So those two hours, technically like three, or four hours of driving every single day back and forth, that's my self development time. That's my podcast time. I do a lot of eBooks. Um, yeah, I used
1: to commute um, in LA. Of course, it's like it's either thirty minutes or an hour and thirty minutes. And yeah. I did. I, I mean, I would just crush audiobooks. <laughs> It yeah. was great, and yeah. but you're right. What's your favorite podcast?
0: Okay. I love Accidental Creative, which is such a useful podcast when you're in the creative field um, and also managing a team, but still having to maintain being creative. Uh, I love How I Built This, um, which- So good. So good. Like that podcast inspires me so much. Um, What's I your also- favorite
1: episode? Huh? What's your favorite episode? of This?
0: That's a hard one because I listen to too many. I don't even remember. Actually, I just listened to the one of Ali Webb, Drybar. Bar. I think I like that one a lot because I kind of personally know her. Yeah. Or we've like interacted before. So I'm like, that's so cool because she seems like such a normal human being. Yeah, and, she's so
1: great. And she just launched her own podcast too. Yeah.
0: So that one I just listened to. So that's the one that like kind of stands out the most right now. And just being a woman entrepreneur, I was able to relate to that a lot. Um, But yeah, I do do a lot of just like things that will help me out, inspire me, a lot of business, podcasts. Great. Yeah. So
1: now we're going to move on to a little fun thing that we do on the podcast. We play a little bit of work and a little bit of party. So we're going to ask you some hot fire type questions. Okay. Okay. What do you think it takes to be a successful entrepreneur in 2018? Definitely being creative
0: and a lot of grit.
1: Who is someone that inspired your past? Someone that is inspiring you daily today? And someone who gives you hope for the future?
0: I would say my grandma. My grandma lives in Seoul, Korea, and she was one of the very first women gynecologists in Seoul, Korea. Amazing. Um, That was when... It was kind of condemned for women to work. And she didn't care. And she still is a working gynecologist. She's like, like almost 90 years old. I don't know if that's allowed.
1: <laughs> what is something you've sacrificed in order to achieve success?
0: Sleep and my social life. Still don't have a social life. What are three things you're grateful for? I'm grateful for sleep. I am getting sleep now. Um, and also my amazing, supportive husband who really just steps it up when I just need his support, especially on those busy months, and my amazing team who kind of like keeps me sane and keeps the ball moving.
1: What are three goals you want to accomplish in 2019?
0: Um, I would say three goals for 2019. One is that since I am giving birth to my second child, to not to go crazy in 2019, to still kind of remain calm and collected somewhat. Um, Two is to really see my collection, which I'm launching in a month, to take off. It's my very first kind of like product venture, so I'm very excited and nervous about that. And three, just to continue to grow the business and just to stay inspired, um, inspiring the team. And you know, there's a lot of seeds that we planted this year um, that we hope to see kind of just grow next year. That's so exciting.
1: What is the best thing to come out of 2018?
0: Baby number two. Um, and also the launch of my clothing collection, my standalone Chriselle Lim collection. That's always been a big dream of mine. Um, also moving into our new studio. Um, It's a beautiful studio in downtown LA. And yeah, that's something that we've been working on all year. So I'm very proud of that. What did you do with your first paycheck? The very first paycheck, I invested it right back into my business. I actually got my first office. It was a tiny little closet in downtown LA, but I knew that Once I made money from this business, I would just continue to invest it back in until, I mean, I don't even know when that stopped because I still am doing that today. (laughs) Such a pro. What keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? I would say new ideas. I just feel like I'm full of ideas all the time, new ventures, things that I want to do. Sometimes they're horrible ideas. Sometimes they're great ideas um, yeah, I, I'm just a dreamer.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on work party.
2: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for new work party minisodes dropping every Sunday.